innovation only works when there's a very high cost of not innovating. Welcome to Inside Outside Innovation, episode 109. Greg Larkin is the author of This Might Get Me Fired, a manual for surviving in the corporate entrepreneurial underground. He talked with Brian about the impetus for his book, as well as practical tactics and bits of advice for people forging ahead in new innovation waters. IO Innovation is the podcast that brings you the best and the brightest in the world of startups and innovation. It is hosted by Brian Ardinger, founder of Next, a provider of research, events, and consulting services that helps innovators and entrepreneurs build better products, launch new ideas, and compete in a world of change and disruption. This wild adventure started about 12 years ago when I was hired to run product for an investment research startup called InnoVest. Uh, they put me in charge of initially running the banking sector. And in 2006, my first ever product launch predicted that the then housing boom would result in what later became the 2008 financial crisis. <laughs> uh, so I was getting into trouble right out of the gate in my product life, in my innovation life. Uh, one of the g- greatest days of my life was in 2009 when I went to work one morning and my CEO, Matt Kiernan, told us that we were getting acquired for $16 million. We were bought then by a company called Riskmetrics, which uh, was later acquired. One of the hardest days of my life was starting work as an entrepreneur and realizing that all of my superpowers that made me an amazing entrepreneur in a startup didn't work anymore inside of a very large corporation where you had things like rules and a boss and budget. <laughs> Legacy <laughs> systems and everything else. Yeah. Like that. Eventually I figured out that you can be as innovative and entrepreneurial in a huge company. In fact, more so in a huge company than in a startup. Um, but it took me about 32 products uh, and over a dozen companies to learn how that works. Uh, so today I'm, I'm, I'm an entrepreneur through and through, died in the wool. And I've worked with Nestle, Bloomberg, PwC, Google, Viacom, uh, across the Fortune 500 launching new products. And you have a new book out called This Might Get Me Fired. And I'm assuming uh, just from the title alone that, uh, that uh, you've got uh, some stories in there to tell. Um, so why don't you talk uh, to the audience a little bit about uh, what the book's all about, kind of how you got on that particular yeah. process and, and what they should expect to see uh, if they uh, pick up a copy. The book really came to me when I was working on a particular product with a huge company. And someone else in the organization, when we were doing this product release, came to us in the middle of a, of a release party for the product and was furious, was going to shut the product down, threatened to fire all of us. And uh, the guy I was working with, who I'm just going to call Tom for now, uh, turns to this guy and says, you know what? Uh, you make it seem like this product is, can be put back into the bottle and it, and it can't be. Um, the question isn't whether it gets built. The question is whether it gets built here. So if you think you need to fire me, 
great, let me move on with my life. If you would rather have me as a competitor rather than as an ally, then fire me right now so I can go on with my life. And it was the most courageous, audacious, scary <laughs> risk I've ever seen anyone take in that position. Tom stayed on in the company. Together, we launched six other great, out, great breakout products together. But as I sort of saw that, that transaction unfold in front of me, I realized that that really was the difference between every innovation I'd ever launched that worked and every one of them that failed. Somebody stepped forward before it took off and said, you know what? I realized that building this is going to get me into trouble. I realized that there are people that don't want this to happen. I realized that there are really entrenched executives who want to kill this innovation and I'm doing it anyway, even if it gets me fired. The world needs my innovation more than they need me to be in this organization and I'm doing that. So that's really where the, the title of the book came from and, and really the spirit of the book, which is when to put your product ahead of your job. Well, I think that's so important. You know, you see a lot of uh, innovation not coming from corporations, and I think a lot of it is because of that baggage. And and it's like, well, it's not worth it. It's not worth my time to to fight those battles or to kind of put my career on the line for something that I, you know, it may may not, um, you know, still has a lot of risk and still has a lot of things that haven't been proven out. So, you know, what are some what's some advice or some things that you've seen that kind of uh, makes the difference for a person to say, okay, this is something that I want to double down on or or kind of fight those battles internally? Yeah, I'd say there's really uh, three pillars to it. N number one is innovation only works when there's a very high cost of not innovating. Right, yeah. Every company has a problem that it needs to solve and cannot solve if it does everything the same way they've always done it. And those problems are, are increasingly not trivial. Uh, it means that a competitor is going to steal your biggest clients. It means you're going to lose market share or, or, or break your bond with your market or your investors for that matter. And too often I've seen a lot of innovation teams and organizations focus on the, uh, the periphery of the core revenue of their, their organization. But really good innovation focuses immediately on a thing where the CEO is going to have a very hard time on the next quarterly earnings call if they don't get it right. And, and great innovators go straight to the heart of that problem and say, you know what, we're going to force a really hard change in this, a hard choice rather in this organization between embracing change or being eclipsed by it. That burning platform focuses a lot of energy. <laughs> and, and if you're- absolutely. If you have to have that uh, that that jumping off point, um, it's hard to do that. You know, I think a lot of corporations seem to struggle though. Um, they think they're innovating, and but they focus a lot on that core optimization engine, uh, innovating around that. Well, and that, while that's helpful, you know, they oftentimes miss that that transformational or horizon three type of stuff uh, that oftentimes, quite frankly, can't be done inside um, without some folks that are kind of more outward focused or, or startup focused, et cetera. I think that's one of the, the you just hit a, a really important point is that when you're inside of a company, very often, if you are an entrepreneur, it can very often feel like you're the only entrepreneur there. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's a pretty lonely existence. And, and certainly for me coming out of a startup and moving into uh, an entrepreneur career, I, it really felt very lonely. In my startup, I was surrounded by like-minded pirates 
there was a, a very strong sense of solidarity and mission. Um, and in the organization, it seemed like everyone that might have had that innate drive to be an entrepreneur and to solve a problem in a differentiated way had somehow become deferential and been beaten into submission to some extent. <laughs> I didn't know that there were others like me. Um, and, and one of the things I talk a lot about in the book is there in every one of those companies, there is an entrepreneur underground. There are people who, if you just look underneath their tie, you're going to see a really big neck tattoo. <laughs> <laughs> and what I mean by that is um, every organization has a, a team of entrepreneurs that are just looking for some excuse to come out of their closet, come out of their shell and exercise that muscle again. Very often, an organization never proactively seeks them out. And very mm -hmm. often they're, they're afraid to step forward and, and, and say, that's who I am. And this is the work I think I can do. And I'm doing it. Um, it sort of takes one person to raise their arm and say, Hey, I'm doing this and you should join me because uh, it's going to be the most incredible work we've ever done in our life together. Let's go. And so, it's sort of like in high school, that first kid that comes in with blue hair seems like yeah. it's crazy. But then the next day, there's 12 other kids with blue hair. It's, it's sort of the same thing in a big company. When that first person comes out and says, I'm an entrepreneur and I'm not apologizing for it, I'm going to continue to work here. So uh, have you seen things that have worked for you know that lonely entrepreneur within a, a corporation kind of um, pull those pirates together um, or, or particular tactics or techniques that seem to have worked? Yeah, well, there's a few few different tactics. One of them is it, it 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 it's mission critical to enlist an executive. I call that executive the Godfather, uh, and they're determined to be an agent of change. They want to create an innovation inflection point for the organization and don't want anything other than that. And it's it, if you don't find that person and have a very candid conversation about what you want to do and what you, why you want to do it. Mm -hmm. uh, it's, it's, they provide you with a lot of cover so that you can start building a team of like-minded entrepreneurs and, and focus on products that are mission critical for the organization to build. Uh, so I would say that's one of the, the first steps. The second step is just do a little digging, talk to people, speak to the design department in your company, speak to the software developers. A lot of those people came from startups. A lot of those people were acquired in through startup <laughs> acquisitions. Uh, go out for lunch, see what they're like, see where they're coming from, get, a, get an understanding of whether there is this latent, dormant entrepreneur volcano that just needs to be ignited for it to really change the organization. And that takes some shoe leather and that takes some extroversion if that's not your cup of tea, but it's, 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 it's not going to happen any other way. Uh, so I, I would say those two things are, are, are pretty important. Recruit an executive and, and come up with a hypothesis of who probably is wired in that way, but you might not know it on face value. Yeah. So, so you've been you've seen a lot of different corporations kind of try these innovation efforts, and in that uh, have you seen particular tactics that seem to be working, or uh, that kind of have been more effective at kind of pulling that innovation culture out of an organization? One of the most important things for any entrepreneur to do is to never pitch an idea, and to only pitch outcomes. 
And it took me a while to figure that out. But I think what a lot of companies do when they're trying to be innovative is they'll have an idea fest where people are invited to submit a piece of paper about what they think an idea would should be of what a product might one day become and the change it might affect. That never works. It's very easy to say no to those. It's also extremely hard to get any sort of real funding for something like that. It's especially hard to get any one of those ideas to focus on a critical problem that the company needs to solve. An outcome, on the other hand, is, 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 is kind of different. And so I, I, one of the things I saw, and it's, and it's something that we did at PwC, is you have to build a prototype in six weeks and you have to go into user tests with that prototype after week one. Mm-hmm. And when you finally are asking for funding or resources of any kind, or even executive support, you're not presenting a PowerPoint deck of what you think the product might achieve one day. You're showing video footage of a user test where people are using something that you built in two weeks or one week and are saying back to you, wow, this is an incredible solution. It solves a problem that I've been dying to solve and I haven't found anything that can do it. And this does exactly what I need in an extremely differentiated way from everything else that's out there. You're not selling an idea at that point. You're selling an outcome. And it's very hard for people to say no to that. Saying no to an outcome carries a risk that saying no to an idea doesn't carry. And unless you have that leverage, you're not going to be able to grow as an entre- as an entrepreneur. I love that concept, and you know, it goes back to the you know a lot of the design thinking and, and uh, lean startup principles that uh, have kind of woven their way into a lot of the innovation arms inside corporations that uh, you know used to be uh, kind of the the focus within startups. But um, you know, on that validation front, um, you, you know, and you mentioned like the idea. Uh, pitch competition kind of things. You know, I, I, one of the things that we've seen in that space is you kind of have that idea, you know, you call through and you, and you collect a thousand ideas from your employees. And then unless you have a strategy for what to do with those ideas or a process, uh, a lot of times it can really backfire, not only because most of those ideas are, are bad or won't get, go anywhere, but um, you've effectively demoralized the, the, the people that you've asked uh, for feedback and, and that unless you have a process to actually create some of that stuff moving forward. So, oh, man. I mean, no kidding, Brian. I Just because in, I live in New York, which is uh, a financial hub, um, probably twice a month I meet up with someone who was referred to me from Wall Street who wants to join, launch a startup. Right. Um, and they always have an idea. And, and I, I've been in this game for 12 years. I, I have an immunity to ideas at this point in my career, for better or for worse. I, I, I just, I don't get excited by them anymore. Either it's working or it's not. And either that you can execute on it or you can't. And I don't, I think what you just described is you, you after a while, you just, you, you, your eyes glaze over. They all sound alike. Almost <laughs> the same things. And outcomes, on the other hand, you show me the growth and you're going to get my attention really fast. Yeah. And, you know, we get pitched ideas all the time. And it's, it's one of those things that, it, honestly, it doesn't matter what my opinion is of your idea. It's like, show me what the market thinks of it and, uh, or, you know, customers or, uh, yeah. get, get, create something and, and see if you can create, create some value and see if somebody's willing to pay you for that. 
So, so talk yeah. a little bit about the, the book. Um, how did it come into being? being? Um, what are some of the things that <laughs> I think it just launched and that. So tell us a little bit about the, the book and, and uh, what's inside it. Yeah. So the, the, the book launched in a pretty counterintuitive way. Um, after my startup was acquired, uh, I stayed for a, a, a little while with the company that bought us, but eventually became a uh, director of innovation at Bloomberg. And that was, that was pretty hard for me. Um, I did my best to be a very diligent corporate executive. And after a while, I just, it was really beating me down pretty hard. And one of the things I did to uh, stay sane during that time is I started writing notes to my younger self, meaning notes to myself on the day after my company, my startup was acquired. Dear Greg, (laughs) there's a few (laughs) things that you're about to embark on on this journey of being an entrepreneur. Here's what I think you need to know. And it just helped me zoom out a little bit and gain some perspective and, and understand, if nothing else, that I was going to emerge from wherever I was. And this is not permanent. This is just a, a valley and you're going to climb out of it. And it, 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 they just helped me chill. They helped me sleep better at night mm-hmm. during a time of a lot of uh, career anxiety and stress. And a lot of those lessons that I was telling to myself I kept coming back to them and revising them and writing them and iterating on them and sharing them with friends of mine who were going through a lot of the same challenges. And after a while, I'm like, I actually have a book here. (laughs) (laughs) Not only that, um, the more I shared them with friends of mine who, who were in the entrepreneurial community and had shifted from startups to big companies or back again, the more I I realized that there was sort of a gap. Uh, There's a shortcoming from a lot of the great books that were out there already. Um, Things like The Lean Startup or The Innovator's Dilemma, which are wonderful books, but they don't exactly hit the nail on the head. They're not very actionable or, or useful for someone who's in the epicenter of it, in a company that might know that they need to innovate, but on a day-to-day basis, there's really a lot more fear of change that prevents them from innovating, even though intellectually they might know it's a priority. They don't, it's very hard to act on it. And that's really where the book came from. It was started off as sort of personal therapy and (laughs) ended up as a, as a book that I was sharing with every other innovator I know in in the New York city (laughs) startup community. And, And it, and it worked and it, was while I was writing that book that I was doing some of the greatest product launches of my life inside of Google and, and PwC. Um, it was, and it, I was, I got to kind of road test a lot of the lessons that I put into the book and, and see them generate incredible results. Very good. It, it, it'll be interesting to see uh, if uh, people bring this into their job and you can see them actually reading it at break time with the, with the title, this might get me fired and see how that actually <laughs> helps you identify or self identify other entrepreneurs within your organization. Hey, it, you know, that's, a, it's, it's funny. You mentioned that I, uh, I was, I had a copy of it on the subway in New York the other day. And this high school kid came up to me and he said, Hey, you think if I were to read that book, it would get me expelled. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> like, that's, 
That's exactly the right attitude. The other thing that's happened is since the book came out uh, last Monday, it's it kind of got straight into the bestseller list on Amazon and stayed there, which is wonderful. Um, but I've been getting so many random emails of people saying, hey, I just forwarded this to my boss. I just forwarded your book, bought my bo <laughs> your book and sent it to my ex-boss. And on some level, I'm like, oh boy, I might have started an insurrection that I wasn't necessarily anticipating. <laughs> well, the good thing about the insurrection is that I think the, the, the time in our lives, this kind of era of endless innovation that I talk about uh, is upon us. And so I think uh, more and more people, whether they know it or not, are going to have to jump into the, that, uh, that boat sometime soon. So it's uh, it's a good resource to, uh, if nothing else, if you're not ready yet to, uh, to start that journey and, and start learning about this. No kidding, Brian. I mean, that's really the thing I'm talking about above all. The fast eat the slow. That just happens to be the time we live in. And there's never been a more exciting time to be an entrepreneur or to be a audacious entrepreneur. The disruption economy isn't going away. And anyone who has the ability to solve an entrenched problem in an innovative way needs to double down on that talent and forget right. about whatever rules hold them back from expressing that value to the world and to the market. There is a huge amount of monetary value that companies and the entrepreneurs inside of those companies leave on the table when they follow the rules dogmatically. And, and that's, that's uh, above all, that's an opportunity cost, which is inexcusable. There's, there's no excuse to not innovate. And there's also, um, you won't get away with it for very long. Right. Uh, and, and it was, it was, I've attended too many funerals. If that makes, that's a crummy analogy, but I'm going to go with it anyway. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I've attended too many funerals of wonderful products and wonderful innovators who were killed for all the wrong reasons because right. of politics, because of analysis paralysis, because of obsolete processes for bringing ideas to market and testing those ideas. And I've seen I've seen a great a few too many good products die, and I've seen a few too many good entrepreneurs die because of it. And the market won't wait anymore. It, they're not loyal. They're going to go. They just don't want to spend money on nonsense. And if right. a, great, a better product comes along out of nowhere, they're going to shift. Uh, and they're going to shift f faster than they ever have, maybe in, in, in human history. That, that happens to be the most thrilling and the most threatening um, reality of, of, of the disruption economy that we're all living in right now. That's the end of another episode of Inside Outside Innovation. Thanks for listening. If you want to learn more about our team and the content and other services we have to offer, check out insideoutside.io. Until next time, go out and innovate.